to infinity forever because you'll never get there. In honor of Lightyear, what's your favorite cinematic spacesuit? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the runs from Prometheus that have a light inside them that probably have a purpose on in the real world, but uh, they just let us see the actors better. Uh, I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to go with the spacesuit from that 1997 movie Rocket Man with Harland Williams, where he goes to Mars and he takes a giant fart in his costume and it inflates like a balloon full of fart air. Uh, great, great spacesuit. <laughs> I'm Dave with the, <laughs> I'm Dave with the seven, and I'm going to take the Event Horizon spacesuits, mostly because it came to mind. Because in that movie, we get to see what happens when you're not wearing one of those in space. <laughs> I'm David Ehrlich, and I got to go off the grid a little bit here. Not into Tron 2.0, but uh, off the, away from movies into video games, if I can. Because the first thing that popped to mind was the suit from the game Dead Space. Uh, which has your health oh, bar boy. on the, on your spine, uh, which was always a really cool touch. And uh, Dead Space back in the news because the dude who made it has another space set survival horror game called the Callisto Project Protocol. The Callisto Protocol, something like that, comes out this later this year. Anyway, Dead Space, that's my pick. And I'm Matt Singer, and I was told to talk last, and I'm going to pick uh, the beige on beige jumpsuits in Star Trek The Motion Picture because. Outer space should be bland and boring. Why would anyone care about what color their uniform is? Everyone would be wearing taupe and beige. That's what space is. Beige. Perfect future. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 396. It's pandemic 117. It's the week of Wednesday, June 15th. That is the day that in 2022, Dave Gonzalez had to report to jury duty. Dave. Yeah. There's Are you any- being... It's, you haven't been accepted. You're not actually no, on the jury You have to report to jury oh, duty no, for I'm selection. Gonna go in- I'm going in tomorrow with my uh, hair down, and I'm not going to take a shower. Are you going to wear your ACAB <laughs> t-shirt? Or... <laughs> the Spanish-language version one, I'm definitely thinking about wow. it. I, re- uh, I, I remain confident that you, of anyone I know, can successfully get out of jury duty uh, with your you sincerely held beliefs. You should not want to get out of jury duty. It's your But, like, your if you were a lawyer, duty. would you want Dave on your jury? Yes, he's ch- he would challenge the norms. I believe that Dave would... Be a good jury member. He would. He oh, would I do too. Seek the truth. He would like, just I, protest I justice. I don't do a Tina Fey where I lie about why I'm there because my actual opinions make me unfit for most lawyers to put on a jury. <laughs> so I feel like. Yeah, I guess the problem you know, with you fine. as a jury member is like you believe most crimes should not be punished. It's part of the police's job actually to lie on the stand, uh, is what I believe. Because yeah, that, that's, that's their that's goal-oriented what, structure. That's what you're going to say to get out of jury duty. <laughs> what you should say is you have a podcast where you would discuss the uh, trial as it goes on. So you're probably not fit. <laughs> a non-trustworthy Pretty sure juror. that is illegal. Yeah, that might be illegal. Hey, Matt um, Singer's on the podcast before we yeah, do any reviews. We, Talk to you. You, you, heard, uh, you heard David through the magic of editing, um, but I'm here with Matt's <laughs> Patches and Singer and also Dave Gonzalez and this this is going to be, uh, you know, seamlessly edited so that David and I will talk about something and then these guys will talk about something else. It's but true. First, while but we Matt, do this, David's not here to tell us. If, oh, wait, should we, we talk we, to Matt we first? We have to introduce okay, we'll Matt. To, we have to, okay. like, say that we Matt haven't Singer. had Matt 
Well, we never have guests on this podcast, Matt. So having a guest on the podcast is a big moment for us. And we haven't apparently had you on the podcast since 2014 during the Amazing Spider-Man 2, a fantastic, epic-sized sequel, just like the one we will discuss later today. And you loved it, if I recall. Is that how you remember that going? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. When are you going to so, invite Matt for a movie that's any good? My head's a good spinning question. at that time, and it still is. Um, but Matt, you wrote you since then. You wrote a book about Spider Man. I mean, that is true. Yeah, thankfully, I guess they didn't hear that episode. Otherwise, they might have disqualified me because I hated that movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> that was lucky. Does that book? Does that movie get mentioned in? in the no, book? there's no. There's no, it's just not about comics, right? Yeah, it's just about comics. There's no. There's no movies in there at all. But I definitely uh, probably deleted a couple of angry uh, amazing spider-man reviews from like my letterbox when uh, the editor was looking me up <laughs> consider me for that uh that position yeah my other uh, that's an episode i've never heard i wasn't on it so now i have to go back and listen to it yeah you were busy getting married around. now you have to go I'm back busy getting and married do your oh, it's a hoot. watching amazing spider-man too and yeah you can listen it. to three people yell at me about what a great movie amazing spider-man 2 is <laughs> I mean, it was. I wasn't one of them. It was one of the classic "Am I taking crazy pills?" moments of my life because I am was I wrong up. or do you love Electro in the movie and you love the Electro box set with Davy Fox's head? In, I mean, in an ironic display. sense, I love the Electro box set because okay. it's hideous. Uh, but Fair. no, it's terrible. It's an awful Irony movie. <laughs> terrible movie. Fair. My one other uh, uh, shameless promotion on your behalf slash uh, catch up bio with you is not only are you the editor chief of screen crush still so go read screen crush but i i think since you last appeared on the show you hung up your hat your podcasting hat the film spotting svu had an epic run but people can still go listen to to that show right they can go back and listen to all the old episodes i mean yeah idea. if they want to hear like what was streaming on netflix in 2014 <laughs> absolutely the amazing thing I is it's all the same stuff you think it's so? not different <laughs> There's no way it's the same stuff. Yeah. Although, like they had way more in 2014. They've been cycling through the same movie. And, well, now those movies are just on HBO Max and Peacock. How many streaming services have services have been invented since SVU? I mean, oh, most like, of them, really. I mean, at the time there was very amazing. few. It was a novel concept when we started it. Now it would be now it would probably be a useful podcast. You know, we stopped it right <laughs> when, it, when it actually would have been an, a useful thing. People probably would have appreciated. That might have been a tactical error. But, uh, I had to explain. Uh, my my son Charlie got into How to Train Your Dragon in the last few days, and it's it's going off of Netflix at the end of this month. And he was like, "It's leaving Netflix? Why?" And I was like, "Oh God, how am I so am I going to explain this to you?" That'll be on Peacock soon. I, I literally that. was like, "It'll probably be on Peacock." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, luckily, he did not press further Come for on, more Charlie. information about Peacock. why this is happening. My uh, my next, kids don't understand Dragon segment. My kids don't understand streaming rights, but they they are fascinated by the concept of commercials. Because mm -hmm. they don't yeah. they don't exist in their world. Yep. And yeah. uh, so, like, it's wonderful to be the old man who can be like, in my day, <laughs> you had to watch commercials. Yep. You couldn't. Oh, just... You have to watch commercials. You you'll remember them twenty years later. Some of them will be so burned into your memory. Is that like? I'm, is there a commercial that you? Uh, I don't know. I have mine. I have like. Oh, I'm sure there's commercials a... from Nickelodeon. I'm sure there's a million of them. But yeah. my, my stop turning this into a mini segment. Oh, no! <laughs> I'm just so happy Matt's here. That's what my, I was going to say. My oh, children wait. were absolutely like horrified at the thought that they couldn't just binge watch nine yeah. episodes of Alice's Wonderland Bakery if that's what they wanted. They're like, what? It was only on the... at certain times of the day and they only showed one episode. What if you wanted to watch <laughs> all of them? 
It's like that's <laughs> not how it worked. They they are it is it's it's insane because they they just exist in a totally different. How world. will these kids learn about scarcity? They won't. They are they are totally spoiled. They can. They watch will a... when the oceans dry up and the coral reefs all die. Jesus Christ! Wow. Hello, uh, welcome <laughs> to Fighting in the War Room. I'm here to do the reviews before I have to leave sure. yeah. uh, and leave the rest of the podcast to you guys. So, Dave, am I asking you if we have reviews? You are, and we have one. Great. Would you like to read it? <laughs> yes. This is from uh, somebody who identifies themselves as former. S-W-G-O-H, which I know stands for Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Five stars! Conflicted feelings. As the title and nickname might suggest, I feel weird writing this review. I played Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes for many years before finally stopping last year. Now my only news I hear about is from when you guys don't get to review. Uh, Don't get a review and I love it. Unfortunately, the podcast is just so delightful that I felt I needed to write a review anyway. I love the structured chaos that you guys all have. Oh, I didn't mean to sneeze in response to that review. That was just an authentic sneeze. Uh, true. Um, I love this coming from someone who wants to hear you talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, but loves us so much that they do it anyway. That's, that's, that's true truly, dedication. they're the only review, so they actually are the line that stopped us from Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Matt, are you familiar with this microtransaction Star Wars? No, I literally, game? if you saw me looking down on the Zoom, it's because I was Googling uh, Star Don't Wars Galaxy it. of Heroes. <laughs> I had no idea. Like I, for a second, I meth thought... or something. Look no, no, I was, I mean, I, I can show you the evidence. It's not a lie. I mean, I literally was looking up Star oh, Wars Galaxy of Heroes. <laughs> I, for a second, thought it was Star Wars I think it's called Galaxy of Adventures. Maybe there was it, they, they were these very short the animated, yeah. yeah, these little animated shorts that I showed to They're my great. kids a couple of years ago, which were yeah, they were a nice little primer for Star Wars if your kids were vaguely interested in it and or you wanted this, to foist it on them at a very young age. This is helpful to know. I've been trying to <laughs> figure notes. out what Thank that you. might be in our household. Yeah, those uh, and the and the uh, the golden books. The golden books are actually the best way to introduce a little mm-hmm. little kid to Star Wars. That's what, we, what mm-hmm. my my daughter had a phase where she loved the original Star Wars uh, golden book a lot. We read it, but now uh, she's like the sequel Star Wars books suck. Exactly. <laughs> it's not true to Luke. They destroyed yeah, my childhood from six this months ago. This is not ago. Luke. <laughs> She's tweeting at Ryan Johnson? That yeah, feels like a it's, weird it's choice ugly. to let your child it's, do. We should not have let her uh, have social media so young, but <laughs> what can I say? Um, so, leave us a review yes. on iTunes in, if you live in the U.S. Uh, if you don't live in the U.S., you could leave us a review on iTunes, but also make sure to send it to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com so we could read it aloud on the podcast and further prevent Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes chat. Unicolin, man, you send you up. Reason, colon, nine, so nine, two, so. All right. Well, David, we're here with Dave also guiding us, but mostly us, uh, to talk about The Hustle, uh, the Adam Sandler movie that, uh, as some like behind the scenes gossip from my work, like the Netflix awards people were really talking to us about this movie. Um, I don't know if that was how real that was, but I think they had gotten a sense that people really liked it. And they were like, hey, Adam Sandler, you know, he's not just good in Uncut Gems. He's good Wait, in this when, basketball movie. When were those conversations happening? I mean, just like people at the Netflix awards being like, hey, you guys should watch this like a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, and but I think I had gotten word even before that that people were like, no, 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 like this one is not so bad. And I think the like Adam Sandler 
uh, Overton window gets weird sometimes where people are just like, but you know, this one, Grown Ups 2, it's got something the Grown Ups 1 didn't. Um, and we all know from Uncut Gems and, you know, things in his career that he can act and that's not really the question, but the hustle is like, it's like a real movie, Excuse even me, though just, it's just about... hustle, just hustle. It's Excuse clearer. me. Is the hustle, was that like an Anne Hathaway? Rebel? Yes, it was. was. That, yeah. Okay. Uh, Rebel, Rebelist and Anne Hathaway, like dirty, rotten scoundrels, weird thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hustle. Um, but it's like a real movie, even though it's full of basketball players and about Adam Sandler basically like getting to hang out with them. It doesn't have that like laziness of so many of the late era Adam Sandler movies and many of the Netflix ones, which I haven't seen. But David, I think you probably have. Um, it's directed by this guy, Jeremiah Zager, who I don't think I've ever seen anything. You made We before. the Animals. Uh, did you see uh, that as a Sundance few years ago? No, but I think that one got some like decent um response as well right? i know some people who were really high on it i was mid but but has yeah i mean but like you hear about a movie starring adam sandler and a bunch of actual nba players uh about an nba draft and you're like oh no um well, but i was won over by this basically every second that it was on it's funny because i sort of had like the opposite experience because i had been mistakenly under the production under the production under the um <laughs> assumption or or the, the misconception that this was a movie that was produced by the subsidiary of Happy Madison Productions, which is called Madison 23 Productions, which is now and has been long defunct. I have since come to learn, uh, but that Adam Sandler created for his like more serious or good movies. Um, I had no idea this existed. It was only used for two movies, both of which underperformed at the box office. And that's why it's been defunct, I think, for more than a decade now, it turns out. Uh-huh. Uh, those movies being um, Funny People and Rain Over Me. Uh, uh-huh. One, the, the former <laughs> being much better than the latter. Uh, although the latter certainly, I think, has to have more uh, footage of people playing. Um, what the fuck is that game? Why is the name escaping me? Chess? Dave, you know, is it chess? No, it's a video game. Uh, oh. And uh, it's a great one. And for whatever reason, this game is escaping me. Dave, help me out here. You're just climbing giant, giant dudes the entire game. Ramp- rampage? No, oh, no. Oh, 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 yeah. The, the Colossus. Shadow, Shadow of the Colossus. Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, like half that movie is just Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle playing Shadow of the Colossus. And I was like, all right. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so I thought that this was, that they were resurrecting that subsidiary for this movie. And so... And I knew that Jeremiah Zager had made it. And so looking forward, I like, you know, as I sat down to watch it, I was expecting something to be uh, okay. uh, a real cut above from the usual Sandler Netflix stuff. And, you know, there are, you know, I, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and, and shit on all of Sandler's comedy. I mean, a lot of Sandler's like, you know, pure down the middle Happy Madison movies have a special place in my heart. The Netflix ones, not so much. But um, I and then I learned uh, watching the first 30 seconds of this movie and not seeing the uh madison 23 production <laughs> banner that, you had you know, a really began. specific experience with i did, this I, did. Movie. But <laughs> I, I mean i but, and netflix had reached out to me and like really made sure that i had seen this in theaters which is very very different from how they typically oh, handle interesting um yeah. I, I saw this basically alone at the paris theater on a wednesday morning as opposed to the adam sandler netflix movies like the do-over which they will not show you uh, no matter like you know how many emails you send <laughs> under any circumstances um and but then I, I realized that that wasn't the case. But I still think it's my very long way of saying that had the happy 23, the Madison 23 productions thing still existed, this would be one of those movies. Um, yeah. And uh, it did, you know, it, it, it did not blow me away. But I uh, am in lockstep with Katie that like it, it's really solid. Um, I think there's a real tug of war 
going on in the, over the course of this movie between sort of art and, and algorithm, if you will. I mean, mm. like, there, you can feel the bones of a good movie. It's shot with real intent and texture. Mm-hmm. Really good performances, um, and we'll get to that. There's a real sense of, like, art and purpose, even though it's very familiar territory. I mean, it is, um, you know, sort of a basketball Rocky kind of thing. There's a little bit of My Giant thrown in there. I mean, they, these are all... In, in any part where you're like, oh, well, they're setting this thing up from a classic sports movie. Like, they're, how are they going to twist it? It's like, no, they're not. It's, no, they're not going to twist it. It's it all is exactly just, what you think it's going to be. You know, a, a layup all the way down. But it's yeah. only really in the last 20 minutes that they seem to give up any sort of aspiration of it being sort of an artistically resonant story and really just settle for it being product, which is disappointing because I think a lot of the movie, um, like a Gavin O'Connor movie, if maybe not quite on that level, has a real, like, one of his sports movies, like Miracle or Way Back, uh, and this does have big Way Back vibes to it. Um, it feels what like it has some real heft to what it. What do you mean by product in that, in the end? But Not to, like, spoil it, but, like, no, not no just, like, to being spoil too- what happens. But, like, yeah. they, did you, and maybe you didn't feel this way, but, like, I felt, like, in the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie or so, um, especially anything after a certain scene at the airport, um, sure. it really just feels like they're just, you know... The basketball puns come too easily, but I mean, I guess the most boring one would be just they're just taking layup after layup. I mean, it's just, well, it just like, kind of rushes to the finish. right? Yeah, but it's like, also like very uninterested in telling and having like a dramatically satisfying conclusion. It's all just mm. about like hitting the levers of being like uh-huh. and you get this payoff and this payoff and this payoff. And here's yeah. more NBA stars. And it's just like sort of seems to give up on really being a, a character led story. But uh, I was highly entertained for the most of the majority of this movie. It does the really obvious tried and true things well um it makes great use of south philly it's got a big tall handsome basketball guy who uh, is good enough to make the movie work adam sandler's terrific queen latifah's fun and his wife fun enough that she gets away with playing like the very basic wife role well when i saw her show up as his wife i was like this makes absolutely no sense like this role is too small for her and also like those are not two actors i've ever been like sure their energy makes sense together but then it kind of does like they're both former college jocks. That's how they met. And like yeah. their relationship is basically being like, no, 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 you do this. Like kind of like egging each other on from the sidelines. But then there's like this very genuine like tenderness between them. I was so surprised at how much I turned yeah. around on that relationship specifically. I mean, it sucks that she is never given a chance to be more than just like the encouraging wife in waiting, you yeah. know, but a lot like, of phone acting happening for her. Yeah. But like she, the queen Latifah of it all is strong enough that you don't in the moment really clock that she's basically just that role player. I mean, like it, it feels like there's enough going on, you know, in that character that you, you believe that she has a life outside of uh, what the story mm-hmm. is able to show us. I don't mm-hmm. know if the same can be said of their teenage daughter character, who's like an aspiring filmmaker and just. She's supposed <laughs> to go to film school and not watch basketball. What more do you yeah. need to know? <laughs> but she's like, a, she she makes possible the deus ex Dr. J um, that this movie uses. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty shameless plotting what they what they do with that character. It doesn't really pay off, but it is like everything in this movie. This it, it does positively contribute to the setup of uh-huh. Adam Sandler's character, who is a. Um, we haven't explained the plot. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, uh, if you, I'll let you do that. But I just, I'll just say that like oh, all the misgivings that I had, <laughs> um, I just, I felt like even if a lot of this stuff doesn't pay off, it does a really good job of contributing to caring about these people in the first place. Yeah, and it's like it's slick in a way that doesn't make you get to the end being like, oh my god, I can't believe I, they like got me. Like you, you feel kind of satisfied having gone along the ride with them. Um, okay, so Adam Sandler plays this guy who is a talent scout for the Philadelphia 76ers, um, which 
it depicts as this kind of miserable job of traveling around the world and like trying to find like the future NBA stars and like Be- Belgrade or in, in the, the this case Spain where he sees this guy Bo Cruz playing on a basketball court in Spain. I have no idea how many like actual street basketball courts exist in Spain, but it does here. Um, and he brings it back basically to his job where uh, Ben Foster plays the shitty son of the original owner who was Robert Duvall, who I, I have no idea why Robert Duvall's in this movie, but okay. Wait, hold um, on. I got to figure out real quick if Robert Duvall and Adam Sandler have worked together before, because that felt like he was like, felt in like, there to do a yeah, favor. Like they, they well, I never like saw the judge. But I didn't know if this was the vibe of the judge. <laughs> anyway, um, so I see Ben Foster show up as like he's like shaved bald with a beard and he's the like shit eating grin, like son of the owner. And I was like, oh, no, like Ben Foster. I think we all know like when he could, he's put into a movie cut loose, like disaster can ensue. Um, but another huge thing in this movie's favor is that it like deploys him early on enough that you hate him. And then he basically disappears, except to show up at various like training events and like like smirk on the sidelines and you're like oh i hate that guy then he goes stand off to the side eating shit yeah exactly like (laughs) exactly as much of it as you need um so adam Sandler kind of bets big on this spanish kid um but he's got like anger issues and the six the 76ers then ben foster said they don't want him so sandler basically like leaves his job and bets it all on training bo cruz for the NBA Combine? Is that what it's called? No. What yeah. is it called? Yeah. Combine. Oh, which is a real thing? I don't know. It's David, I'm talking to you like you know more about basketball than I do. I, I, think I do. as uh, if listeners don't already know, will very soon come to learn, uh, am a, I'm a lot more of a hockey guy than I'm a basketball guy, which I mean obsessively versus not at all. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the Combine is a real thing across all professional sports in the United States. Um, I don't think it works exactly as you see it in movie it is a much bigger event in real life if anything um and tends not to make quite as much news but yeah it exists sure uh so yeah so he's uh, it's all leading up to the combine and uh can bo cruz overcome his anger issues and his homesickness for his daughter can adam sandler stanley sugarman uh you know make his career on this guy and uh have respect for himself after being disrespected his whole career I don't it's know. Maybe story. we'll find out. It's a, Sports it's a redem- and redemption. It's a- Who would have ever put these two things together? It's, it's in God. Philadelphia. <laughs> I mean, I think there are multiple training montages in this thing, but it has one gigantic training montage in the middle sure of it does. that as I was watching it, I was like, do I like any movie with a training montage? And I don't think that's true, but I think this one is just a really good one, uh, yeah. in, including a, a, the, oh, I thought you were uh, saying requisite like nod to Rocky. You- you like don't like any movie that you've never seen a movie you like that had no, a training no, no, no. montage. No, 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 no. I mean, I feel like the training montage starts like your lizard brain kicks in. And you're just oh, sure. like, yes, I want him to get up the stairs. <laughs> I mean, ever since, the stairs? ever since uh, we were Neanderthals, we were carving training montages, montages on cave walls. So like, this I is think something the Potemkin really... steps actually. If you do it in reverse, there's somebody running up in the background. <laughs> that's true. Um, um, yeah, the baby it's got carriage a, it's, is going up. Yeah, it's got a great training montage that like may or may not like be. A Gatorade commercial, but it's a really effective Gatorade commercial. This definitely is a movie that, despite its many positive attributes, feels like it's selling something at all times. Um, That something is is not the Philadelphia 76ers, clearly, but it may be the NBA uh, in a broader sense. Yeah, I mean, it definitely made me someone who, like, enjoys watching basketball fine when I watch it. Like, I was like, oh, but I could, like, watch them, like, trash talk each other on the court. Like, it makes you interested in the sport in a way. But I think that's a credit to the movie. Like, the pow- a good sports movie makes you care about the sport in question, even if you know nothing about it. And I'm not a total, like, n- totally new to basketball, but it made me care about it in a way that I didn't expect. Yeah, and it's got sort of like the Jerry Maguire thing going on, not only in the dynamic between Adam Sandler and 
Cruz, who's played by a uh, middling NBA player. I've come to learn, not that I'd ever seen him before. Wow. Juancho wow. Hernan Gomez, who is uh, way very, He's good in the movie. No, but he's been, he was like traded on three different teams in the last season alone. I mean, if he was a superstar, would he have been in this movie? I mean, I guess LeBron exactly. James. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, LeBron, LeBron James produced this movie. Um, oh, but, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, but he's yeah, not he's, in it, weirdly. No, he isn't. But Every, they do mention Everyone him. else is. They mentioned him by name in a flattering way, as you would yeah, when talking about LeBron James in basketball. Oh, but um, of course, <laughs> excuse me, Quancho, or you can hear the after effects of why I wasn't on last week's episode. Quancho uh, <laughs> Hernan Gomez, uh, who is very beautiful and very mm-hmm. tall, and very uh, is good enough in this movie that you buy him doing those things, even if his character is presented as kind of a like a implosive simpleton. I mean, the language barrier <laughs> helps a lot, but like. He, he is really just kind of doing the my giant thing um and but like the other he, he's good enough in the movie he makes it work the other basketball players in the movie but like okay so like this is how little i know about basketball in the way the nba is today used to be a big fan when i was like 10 but um, when i saw anthony edwards name in the opening credits oh, i was uh-huh, like oh here uh-huh. we go anthony edwards <laughs> i was like he couldn't be in top gun maverick but he showed up in hustle <laughs> and the movie ends and i was like wait where the fuck is anthony edwards and then i realized that anthony edwards is the name of the um, basketball player uh who plays the the villain so like the the on-court villain in this movie um kermit wiltz who is excellent his job yeah, essentially really is, is just to shit talk Bo Cruz, and it turns out he's so good at it, you know, yeah. in addition to his natural charisma, because he used to just shit talk Bo Cruz in real life when they were teammates. Um, <laughs> oh, they were teammates? So, yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that. Um, and, and he is one of many different basketball players in the movie who all acquit themselves well enough that there is not a single moment where you go, oh, that is clearly just a basketball player. And like, yeah. and that's, you know, there are people like Trey Young, who I recognize from the playoffs last year, who are in here, don't have as much to do, but still do it well. Um, and then even you have like the Heidi Gardner's, the Jaleel Whites coming through, um, you know, in, from the non-athletic side of things and are holding it down and giving the movie some texture there. Um, I would say I, Dr. J, if like, I, I knew who Dr. J was, was like, he's not an actor. Like he, he's a charismatic man in many ways. You Dr. J was? No, I did. But, oh, but like, okay. if I hadn't known, I would have been like, oh, that's a basketball player. Yeah. I mean, and that's, we're really just scratching the surface of the, bath, of the like, NBA legend. Oh, yeah. Well, the, you get to the credits, movie. you're just like, oh, those are all real players, huh? Like, that's, again, as me knowing. So. Yeah. They really make a meal of that. And, like, you know, this was Adam Sandler loves basketball a lot more than he is, you know, for the brunt of his career, seemed to love making good movies. And he <laughs> uh, gets, you know, he, he's clearly having the time of his life getting all these people together. Um, getting paid for it and yeah. uh, that that fun even if he's playing a you know a guy who has uh, some real demons and is haunted by certain things um, they don't do a particularly great job of fleshing out what those demons are we get them in broad strokes but both his yeah. backstory and bows are like basically squeezed into as little time as humanly possible yeah. um but uh he, even if he's playing you know sort of down and out character he's having he's having fun he's having fun being the coach like the trainer role where he's in the car at dawn and honking <laughs> at the athlete who's running up the hill in front of him. Um, yeah. It's got a real great sense of place, which between that and the cinematography, which has, as I said earlier, like some real texture to it. Um, mm-hmm. And it was obviously helping me seeing this on the big screen, but it does not feel like the typical Netflix straight to Netflix no. movie. It doesn't have that gloss. 
that has not a even real like sense a typical Sandler Netflix movie. Like it looks better yeah. than many other like more quote unquote serious Netflix movies that I've seen. Yeah, and there were someone was telling me today. I'm not sure how credible this was that um, the Safdie brothers did some work on the screenplay. I mean, I think I would believe it more easily <laughs> if the Safdie brothers did some work in like the post processing, like the post production of this movie, <laughs> the, color the, the film processing, um, than I would in the screenplay. Which uh, yeah, I don't know about the screenplay but, thing. Um, <laughs> But Stranger Things have definitely happened. Um, but it, it it was a helpful reference, you know, apocryphal or not, because just to to an idea to plant in the head of people who haven't seen this movie and might be thinking about it. That no, it's not nearly as extreme by any stretch as a, a proper Safety Brothers movie. But it no. does feel more in line with something like that than it does, um, you know, the Do Over or Sandy Wexler or something like that. I so. yeah, I don't know. Like, Safety Brothers movies, like many of which I like, like are so unpleasant to watch. And this movie yeah, is yeah, so yeah. I just mean pleasant, just like the, start to finish. You know, just the general sort of ambiance of, of it. It is, it is definitely, this is a pleasant movie. It is a, it is, um, a feel-good film, more or less. Um, it, it would have made, probably been an even feel-better film had it dared to dwell a little bit more in the darkness that these characters are mm-hmm. going through and make them slightly more real people. But it just doesn't aspire to hit the level of Jerry Maguire, let alone like a, a Gavin O'Connor movie. I mean, it is happy being two rungs south of that um but above you know just pure content um and it's you know perfectly fine for what it is in that sense dave to what extent are you rooting for adam sandler these days and does this fit in what you'd be hoping for him uh yeah because i he's gonna take a swing i'd rather take him take a swing with like uh not necessarily smaller movies because that doesn't sound like this is it uh but maybe less high concept movies like a mm-hmm. nice sports redemption movie put more of those into the world you know don't yeah. put more weird comedies that, <clears throat> that like don't even seem like a good premise to me this is like if i could watch the trailer for adam sandler movie usually i could tell if it's going to be one of the ones that's, that like, has a possibility of being good or one of the ones that isn't and it seems like hustle's worth uh worth a look yeah yeah, I mean, like, it, it, for a Sandler to be good, it doesn't have to be Punch Drunk Love or Uncut Gems or Sandy Wexler. Like, there's a middle ground that he can occupy, and I like the idea of him getting comfortable in that middle middle space. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. and, and like, you know, we've there's been so much talk about Netflix recently about the kind of movies they have been making, should be making, will be making, and um, this middle, like, you know, very starkly middle budget uh, movie that is the kind of movie that other more conventional studios wouldn't really be investing in these days. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel like complete tripe that works, that it seems to have broad appeal. You know, like if this wants to, if, if this is the kind of thing that Netflix wants to make their bread and butter and churn out 20 of these a year. Um, yeah. Oh my God. With, the, with like, you know, one or two of them occasionally aspiring to some greater heights. Uh, that would be fine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is, uh, it, it's hard, you know, by the time this comes out, the embargo will have broken on Joseph Kaczynski's new Netflix movie, Spiderhead, which is a real piece of trash. And that <laughs> that is uh, like that is also not primitively expensive. That is also probably in the higher end of that mid budget range. But that felt to me so watered down, so below the talents of the people involved that it, it really was sort of programmatic and um this is programmatic in a similar way, but just more satisfying. I don't know. Like I, yeah, this is, this left me feeling much better about what Netflix could be than Spiderhead did. Interesting. I had heard good things about Spiderhead. So from morons, maybe we'll fight about it uh, in the war room. (laughs) 
uh yeah everyone should watch hustle it's entirely like watch it with your parents or whoever or a sandler skeptic or anybody else it's 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 broad appeal yeah. as david was saying katie made the good call this week watching this and not the <laughs> jurassic movie <laughs> well, one of them was in my <laughs> house and one of them was not and one of them seemed painful and one didn't so it felt easy to me <laughs> I'm back. Katie's gone. I've got Matt and Matt. No David. That's what's changed since the last segment you've heard. Don't worry. I'll be letting you know at the top of every segment who's with you. <laughs> but this mini segment, you know what we're doing. We've got a dumb question of the week from Matt Patches. This is apparently a thing now because I've, I'm told that no one has planned anything better and that my brain has to just spew dumb shit and uh so but this I, is a, I actually this, do have this a will end when you go back to work patches <laughs> you think so uh, i wish it would end in my brain um here's my question for for you two this is this is a true like i need help to figure out how to deal with a situation that i'm in so i have um an old it's not a neighbor the person who used to live in my house okay and i've lived in my house for three years the person who used to live in my house has apparently not changed their address on some pivotal financial documents and other sorts of important mailed items, snail mailed items that continue to come to my house. And this puts me in a little bit of bind. I don't want to talk to this person at all because I feel like once you buy your property, this relationship is over. You should never meet this person in like real it's like seeing your teacher, your fifth grade teacher at like the supermarket or something. Like just because you live in the same town still, it shouldn't happen. These this is this is anti-science. Um anyway, I'm getting her mail. I have two questions about this. I actually have her number, so I text her, hey, I have these important pieces of mail for you. And she did text back this week and say, I'm going to, I'm going to come pick them up. This was like a Wednesday. I'm going to come pick them up on the weekend. I'll tell you when. The weekend went by. Okay, so she knows that I have important pieces of mail for her. But she did not come to pick it up when she said she would. How long do I have to keep the mail in my house? floating around in diff on different places because I don't have a good like place for someone else's mail. I have a system for my own mail, but she knows that I have it. So if I throw it away and then she says I'm coming, I will have thrown away it. This is true Larry David shit. You have a what mail system? I have a, well, <laughs> what, when you get mail, where do you put your mail? I don't know, in the garbage or if it's a bill, I pay Most it and then I throw it away. <laughs> I mean... It's mail. Well, I have. I need a cue. You know, like I'm not getting to most of my mail right away. Or you get you. You have a great system if you're getting if you're like bam, 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 done with every piece of mail right away. I I applaud you. How much mail are you getting? There's just a lot of mail. It's coming from every direction. <laughs> Still, I'm too I gotta. I have to be honest. When you started, didn't the they story, almost cancel the post office? I thought like, when you I were thought... starting this story, it was going to be like you know the person who lived here before <laughs> me. I thought that, like it was going to be like they're still living here or something, or yeah, there's yeah. like a ghost. Well, it could turn into a horror movie. This or could it's could like be a, a horror movie scenario. Is that they're, they're haunting, haunting you? She is yeah. haunting me on some level. I guess. Yeah, I guess they are. I anyway. can't get rid of this this ghost of the past. I want to be done. So you want to know how question. long to keep this mail? How long do I keep the mail that she knows that exists? And then the the second question is: When I receive mail to this person who does not live here anymore, but does live in my town somewhere, I could get it to her. Do I have the right to now throw it directly into the trash, no matter 
how important it could be and for someone. You guys, you, you're, you're, you're missing the uh, mail system that counts, which is the U.S. mail system, which says you write return to sender in a big black marker on the envelope, put it back in the mailbox, and the post office will take care of it. Does that really and work? Then you're not... Because I feel like I've done cares? that and it just stays what? there. Here's what I heard from your story. I got some mail accidentally from somebody who should have changed their address a long time ago for important things. I texted them and made it my problem. That's your mistake. Correct. Courtesy. Because it doesn't have her real... It's not like I got a, a piece of mail from down the block. It's not a return to sender. Well, I guess it's a return to sender situation. No, it is a return to sender. It's her responsibility when she moves, especially with financial documents, to provide a new address to somewhere else or to provide a new address to the postal service that will then forward so the mail to I should get a return to, to sender stamp so I can... I don't, I don't want to even spend time writing those words to be able to just mark these letters and put oh them my back God. in the... If we didn't talk about this on the podcast, would you have the energy to write three words on a piece of fucking mail? <laughs> I didn't really think of it as an option, I've got to be honest. Clearly. <laughs> I, look, look, I, I get it. There's not a good Samaritan aspect here. There's not like, I'm not in no, the no, right no, 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 there is. trying to return you, this you, mail. You're, you're being a mensch, but now you can't throw it away. Correct. Now you got to see it through to the end. Correct. So I completely I have agree to hold on to the mail. Yes. Yeah, you hold on to the mail until you move or she picks it up now because you have texted her. I would say if, I would say you now happen. have to hold on to that mail for at least one year. So that is what I that's I'm want I want to put a time on it. Uh, but I would it if could it was be a me month, three months, a year? If it was me, first of all, I would have thrown it right in the garbage. Second of all, I mean you said you've lived. Even here though it could have been a tax document. These are coming in at a like You a said time this person like, moved you moved in here three years ago? Yes. The statute yes. of limitations on mail has elapsed. I'm sorry. Goodbye. She seems to own her own business and other real estate. So these documents are foreign to me as someone who is cash poor and owns nothing but their their immediate property. Uh, so I'm, I would, I'm fascinated I, by this mail. Uh, six months max <laughs> is when af after that point, any mail for an old person... I get mail for old, for people who used to live at my address who I don't know. Like, I didn't buy any property from sure. them. So I don't know them, but I don't even... Just garbage, 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 garbage. So, in your case... Less is more. I would have absolutely just thrown it right away. It's three years. and But now that you have been nice, that was your error. I agree, you have to keep it for, I would say, at least a year. But, I mean, I would, I would I, reach out to this person in two weeks and say... If you still want this, please come pick it up. And if there was, again, no response or whatever, then maybe you could throw it away after another month or something. But yeah, because I don't want to be now... aggro and be like, hey, this is a second warning. I'm going to throw it away now. I don't think I could be that blunt. I That's wouldn't weird. be that. No, I wouldn't be that blunt. But uh, yeah, yeah, you've made this way more complicated than it needed to be. <laughs> Stop being so that nice, right. Patches. You have, a, you have a family and a child to worry about. I have, I have a lot of. To do. Two children, two child, two children to worry yeah. about. Good God! Thank still, it's still you. news. It's still news to me. I appreciate all of it. Thank you. Alright, to wrap up this week's episode, we are going to talk about one of the bigger movies of the whole year. It seems to have made a, uh, a gigantic 
I don't know. Take at the box office. What is the variety lingo at this point? It's made, it's stomped. It's left a footprint. One of many movies to beat Michael Morbius at the box office. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the doctor has fallen yet again. Um, we're talking about Jurassic Park Dominion. It is ostensibly Jurassic World, Jurassic Dominion. World Dominion. Yes, it is ostensibly the the ending of another Jurassic trilogy. Uh, from writer director Colin Trevorrow, who directed Jurassic World and then kind of produced, stepped away uh, from Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I think he was supposed to make a, a Star War, and that didn't work out. And but th- that didn't matter. He got to come back and finish what he started, the Jurassic World saga. Um, and and for me, my head is even further in the clouds, which is like, this is the en- is this the end of of Jurassic Park as a functional franchise and maybe the bigger question is was it ever a functional franchise i've been going back and watching other jurassic movies and i i want to crack open all of this amber with the two of you um and and talk about we'll get into the movie and uh but maybe talk about some of the other jurassic uh jurassic history uh as far as the movies are concerned i guess my off the top of is this one of the worst movies you guys have ever seen? Um, just from judging from the reactions, privately speaking to both of you, uh, and and across the board, critics do not care for this movie. Um, what do you what do you make of Jurassic World Dominion? And did you what were your, where were your expectations at going into this? I feel like mine were low and mine were not sur- surpassed necessarily. I want I want to hear Matt go first. Uh, I I guess my expectations were pretty low. I haven't really liked either of the uh, the previous Jurassic World movies, and uh, this was roughly made by you know basically the same creative team, so they weren't that low. I guess I was sort of optimistic that maybe this one would be crazier, bigger. The cliffhanger ending from Fallen Kingdom was at least sort of wacky enough that I thought, well, that could make a crazy you know bonkers blockbuster movie. And of course, I was excited to see the original Jurassic Park cast back. Who doesn't want to see, you know, Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern? So maybe, maybe my expectations were a little bit higher than you, 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 you guys, you guys, you guys. Uh, and they were definitely not met because I don't know if I would say it was one of the worst uh, movies I've ever seen, but I would probably say it is the worst Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie I've ever seen. I think it's it's the worst one of of all of these, and I. Uh, there's a lot of competition for the worst one of these because I think most of them, except for the first one, have been varying degrees of middling to unbearably awful. So yes, I, I was a yeah. Big, you're the this, wrong person to ask. You've seen some truly awful, awful movies oh, yeah. in your life. Oh, yeah. So maybe maybe the better question is: this like one of the most dysfunctional blockbusters? I've seen people compare this to Rise of Skywalker, and maybe that is a the. The barometer. Here, I mean, which I don't know. There was you, one guy who was involved movie. in both of those movies. I mean, <laughs> this, this is true. This is true. But it does. It is similar in how like it is a convoluted patchwork film um, that is trying to tie up a lot of nostalgic threads. Like I understand the comparisons. I think this one's a little more successful than Rise of Skywalker. Oh, you're both oh. squinting. I mean, you have I, to paint a visual. I'd say they're on, roughly on par. Rough, oh, roughly. Dear. I. I I'd have to subject myself to the rise of Skywalker again, uh, which I haven't done in a year or two. So, I'm not sure. I'd say they're comparable. The, the third time, yeah, the third time I saw Rise of Skywalker, it was in 4D, and so there were parts of the movie I actually enjoyed. You know, like Millennium Falcon sky hopping nonsense and things like that. Um, 
but this this is this movie i haven't felt this tired and angry after a franchise installment since seeing batman v superman dawn of justice in theaters because it's just it like i'm i'm not saying my expectations were super high because i don't think i think you're right and you're both right in judging the other sequels as being definitely lesser than the first and maybe not even good ideas to begin with but I saw the trailer for this one and it does the thing that Rise of Skywalker and the entire sequel trilogy was unable to do, which was master shot, new cast, old cast, both of them dealing with the problem. I didn't know what the problem was, but it had that shot and I'm like, you know what? That says legacy sequel to me, that preps me, maybe this movie is going to actually be good. Uh, but just watching how from premise to the construction of actual action scenes, this movie refused to be interesting to me uh, was just so very painful. And then it ended and you realize the, the old cast came back and reunited and tried to put as much into it as they could. But you realize that the script like really kneecaps them by not involving them in the dinosaur plot uh, until like the very end. And then you're like, I ended up this movie back in a park. And like the whole premise of this movie was there <laughs> out of the park. I was so confused. It and can't escape. Uh, just, there's a real yeah, sort I, of like religious fate or something like they're it's, trapped in the park. Like it's Twilight Zone or something. It's baffling. I mean, it's like you were saying, like asking me before, like, is it the most incompetent? It's 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 beyond that. It's just like it really is baffling. Like to me, that's the word for this movie is like if you were charged with making a, a Jurassic Park movie in the wake of the last movie and also you were told like. We're bringing back the original cast that people love. Who, like, how would you arrive at, like, what they arrived at? Which is, like, we're going to have two separate stories, one of which involves locusts, one of which involves... Killer, killer locusts that threaten the world's uh, food, you know, supply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One okay. of which, it, one of which is there's, like, this clone, angsty clone, clone girl... British who clone people, Hermione. Who people want. And th- those are the Why two... do they want her? I don't... From her... Fallen Kingdom, she has D- dino DNA or... She has magic... Uh, yeah, like something in her blood is magical and it will... It will. It all goes back to Amazing Spider-Man 2 that also mm. features Campbell, Campbell Scott, Scott as a scientist. It's actually scientist. Richard Parker's... This is the ending of the Amazing Spider-Man saga. And when um, Dane DeHaan you was tweeted like, my that blood, earlier. my blood! Um, they're actually talking about this clone girl from the Jurassic World trilogy. It's very confusing. So I was so about gotta, to explain like, Amazing Spider-Man. like why they want her. And then I realized that the reason that they want her doesn't make any sense because they want her to like fix the locusts. But I thought they wanted her. the... They wanted her to, they want the locusts out there because they want to like to take over the food supply or something. Right. Campbell Scott is like the new, not engine, but other evil. Biosyn. Yeah. Biosyn. Definitely not an evil company when it's named Biosyn. He looks like Tim Cook from Apple and he is trying to wipe out the food supply, I guess, but also he's raising the dinosaurs. They, They have the dinosaurs because they need the dino DNA for the locusts. Is that right? He has created a dino uh, sanctuary. We, the so best they part took about the this dinosaurs. Is this great premise from Fallen Kingdom where dinos are living among us is explained in a now this video, like it's Facebook video right. style. They they uh, dismiss the whole concept. It. Yeah, it's amazing. Whole... We just like live among us now. Okay. Apparently, like when you like the question that was asked at the end of that last movie, which was like, 
Well, what would happen if dinosaurs lived on our planet? The answer is apparently nothing. Would. It would be exactly the same, but there'd be occasional dinosaurs. It's like you'd have to try not to hit a triceratops while driving to the beach or something. But like, why? Why make the movie if the answer is nothing? Like the whole point is it's supposed to be interesting and exciting and scary. And it's like, well, we can't think of anything that would be different. Locusts. So, so we'll make a the movie about locusts. It's like I love The Exorcist too. That had locusts. Let's put the... the lo <laughs> Everyone loved when we put locusts in The Exorcist. Why not put them in Jurassic Park? Yeah, but you're right. Evil Tim Cook hires some mercenaries to, like, capture Clone Girl from Fallen Kingdom. But for reasons that are never clear, because who really needs her... This We're going to get into spoiler territory with this movie for everyone listening. Um, if we haven't already, it's hard to tell what's a spoiler, what's not, as you kind of like your mind falls and collapses through the plot of this movie <laughs> over two hours and 20 minutes. But, um, Beanie Wong shows up again. He's been hired after all his failures in previous, uh, genetics programs. He's, he's back at Biosyn and he needs her to unlock the, to destroy the locusts or to deprogram them because she has the DNA of like saving her clone mom's. Uh, terminal disease or something and but then why does tim cook want her why does campbell scott need her that's the part that even as i was he trying to explain it i realized made no sense because it's great the, the movie establishes that he he sent out the locusts to destroy the food supply so that he his evil biosyn company could control the food supply because the locusts don't eat biosyn crops so the idea is the world would be beholden to Biosyn and he would control this, the world. <laughs> this is definitely Star Wars prequel trade federation mumbo jumbo bullshit that no <laughs> one could possibly ever care about. And who cares about the food supply? I mean, I do in real life, but not certainly not in the context of, of Jurassic World Dominion. Um, yeah, it's totally convoluted. And all the characters that, not that I liked them in, in the first place, not that I was an Owen Grady fan or whatever his name is, uh, Chris Pratt's character from Jurassic World and, and Fallen Kingdom, but all of these, there's no characters in this movie, right? They're all kind of taking a backseat to this global, globetrotting plot. It's a, it's a very strange movie. Um, and yet, and yet, uh -oh. I'm going to maybe be the defender here. Oh, no. Against the two of you with Dominion. It's taking okay. a swing. It's going to go for something. Um, whether it's successful... I'm going to agree with you. It's not. I hate. But there's pieces I, here. There's glimmer. I don't I don't love always quoting Rick and Morty uh, outside of people who are talking about Rick and Morty. But uh, shitting the bed is not better than not shitting the bed. <laughs> I would say I mean, I would say it. it, it if you're going to call this taking a swing, wouldn't the better and bigger swing have been like to actually engage with the premise of the last movie and consider what a world full of dinosaurs would have been like? I think I absolutely agree with you. Wanted to see Dinotopia, but in the Jurassic World uh, mode. Uh, yeah, there's a great movie just kind of sitting there, um, but maybe it was too big or it just felt like world building and not, it didn't have a thriller plot. I, I Here's kind of segueing in, and we'll get to the end of Dominion and maybe some of the details about it, but Something I'm really curious of watching some of these old Jurassic Park movies and, and the sequels in particular. Um, Matt, you've you've also gone back and watched some of them, and I'm kind of curious what you think. I, Jurassic Park, the original Spielberg movie, 93, right? Uh, it's been yes, long ass time. Uh, perfect movie. 
like beginning to end still if you watch it i watched it in 3d like 10 years ago it was great and i watch it on streaming every once in a while it's great um but that movie looms right like even over spielberg's own lost world sequel which by based on some minimal reading that i did after watching it recently he didn't want to do Crichton didn't want to do it no one wanted to make a sequel to jurassic park which was probably the correct move it's not a very sequelable premise once you accidentally bring dinosaurs back to life and they kill everyone you would not do it again and no one would be that stupid except everyone in the jurassic park universe um but how do you think that that first movie kind of looms over some of the sequels even for spielberg like do you feel he feels like a pressure in lost world like what are people trying to do in the sequels and how do we end up with a catastrophic franchise to be frank like jurassic world and then a movie as convoluted and kind of far out from interesting premises as as dominion i wonder what like pressure that original jurassic park creates i, I mean uh i feel go ahead no go ahead dave oh i feel like the first one has that Crichton hook of like light science fiction on top of adventure and the rest of the jurassic movies are just like what if that again and it, it never it never grows beyond that as a premise until locusts and by then i'm like you've been promising me other things this whole time it's too late to pivot back to locusts like maybe if there were three movies building the locusts i would have been slightly okay with it but like i shouldn't end the locust movie and be like i would have liked the indominus rex at this point like that made me mad years ago but now i was like where's where's my boy from the other bad movie it's just it never it never reached that point where it had a sci-fi premise that went along with dinosaurs ever again. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say you cannot make a good sequel to Jurassic Park because I'd like to believe that someone out there somewhere could yeah, have, right? Sure. It doesn't seem like it should be impossible, but we have five examples now of showing that it's very difficult because, you know, Spielberg couldn't really do it, although... What do you make of Lost World? I was going to say, rewatching The Lost World after watching Jurassic World Dominion, I had a <laughs> well, whole new respect for that movie's sort of base the, level of competence. You know, that's like, hilarious because I rewatched it before Dominion, and I was like, "This has really fallen in my in my regard oh, for it." That I I always kind of dug the just the thrills of it and the set pieces, the chase scene when they when when right. the engine first gets to the island, they're like rounding up. I always thought that was a thrill ride, or but like ugh, the T Rex attack when they're in the and they're in the the trailers and stuff did not do anything for me when they go to San Diego ugh like this that movie is really long and boring and they just could not come up with anything interesting to do I, it really has kind of fallen in my estimation and then i watched Jurassic Park 3 which actually goes for it in a in a fun way it's like a Harryhausen movie or it it could have been if they could just disregard the plot somehow if they could eject all these humans and the and the setup is so preposterous oh. having Grant show up and be like there is nothing you can do to get me go to that <laughs> island Oh, how about $500,000? Okay, here, Gabby. I'm going to go. Right. Let's go. Um, it's like, no, come on. Have, have morals or have, have beliefs in your own system. Uh, but like, yeah, the movie, I don't know. Even the Spielberg-backed ones uh, do not live up. I think the thing that I appreciated about The Lost World watching again, and I do agree, it's, it's not a good movie, and it, it is very long, and at times it is quite boring, is just, um, the 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 base level competence of Spielberg as a director of of these very taut sequences 
you know, you, you mentioned you didn't enjoy them, but like I, I was sitting there really enjoying like the sequence with the T-Rex and the trailers and the stuff in San Diego. Like it still looks great. I think Jeff Goldblum is really entertaining in that movie. He's really good. And I yeah. think he is one of the few bright spots in the new movie. Like he is actually amusing. And I was sort of he's enjoying. a character and who yeah. we know and like is like drilling down into that character. Right. He's committed to that bit. Right. I think the problem Damn. with the Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 and probably I guess really all the sequels maybe is that they don't. They all have terrible, boring, stupid villains. Every villain in every one of the movies is exactly the same. It's like a jerk who's like, I know how to do Jurassic World the right way. And I'm going to train raptors to be killers. And you're like, well, that's a terrible idea that will definitely fail. And the whole movie, you know, and Vincent D'Onofrio is like, no, it's going to work. We're going to we're going to send these raptors out into the into the field and they're going to kill who exactly who we want. And you're like, that's, there's no way that works. And then they build up to when they do it in the movie and it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, like the last movie had the, you know, they had another example of that. The Lost World has a guy who like takes over InGen from Hammond and he's like, we're going to kidnap the dinosaurs and we're going to bring them to San Diego and we're going to save our company. And you're like, well, that's a terrible plan and it's going to backfire. And sure enough, it does. It's like... That happens over and over in every one of these movies. They haven't had a single interesting villain character and maybe not a single interesting new human character, period, since the original movie. And so, yeah, you're left with these movies that are a lot of impressive special effects, cool dinosaurs, but it's just like you never once get wrapped up in any of the stories of mm. any of the, the characters in any of them. I mean, an example of Jurassic Park 3 where you have Alan Grant, who, you know, they, they get Sam Neill back. And yeah, he literally is like, I am never going there again. And 30 seconds later, he's on a plane. And then 30 seconds after that, like the people who've like <laughs> tricked this seemingly intelligent person to go with them have like thrown out their ruse completely. They're landing in the middle of the island. He's like, this is a really bad idea, guys. And they don't do it anyway. Three of them are dead in like another two minutes. It's just like, bing, 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 bing. It's, you're just pinwheeling through this, you know, uh, it is a sort of thriller like 98 plot. minutes or 100 minutes. Or it's 92. Oh, it's it's even shorter. It's like literally yeah, like 92 minutes. Of that credit. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, just... It makes you wonder, like, what is the nugget of Jurassic Park that we love? Like, could it be replicated? And I, I guess I'm thinking about, like, slasher movies. Like, how do you make eight Freddy movies? How do you make eight Friday the uh, 13th movies? And, and they found a way. Like, later in, you know, uh, Jason X kicks ass. Send them to space this time. Um, maybe making dumb sequels isn't that hard. Uh, if if exploitation is your is your mode, but like maybe there's a Jurassic Park prestige factor that inhibits these movies on some level. The I for me it's always a, it's a sliding scale based on how you're able to walk the tightrope of dinosaurs are animals and dinosaurs are monsters, which Spielberg is the only one who's able to walk it like completely convincingly. Joe Johnston tips from one end to the other, like really fast in Jurassic Park three. It's like, oh, you know, these are just, you know, uh, animals and we could vacuum form their skulls and learn to talk to them. And I'm like, OK, whatever. And then like Spinosaurus is like, no, I'm going to stalk you like a serial killer. And then we have like murder birds. So and then this one, I think, has a weird problem where so much of the Jurassic World series was just like, no, they're, they're monsters because we made them monsters. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. But this one pivots back to like, now they're animals again. And, but not only are they animals, but now they'll fight each other for no reason, because that's what we need to do to engineer 
like fights. Like the thrilling thing about Jurassic Park is the zoo goes wrong and everybody in there is like, oh man, maybe zoos are a bad idea. And those ideas can exist with running away from raptors, but doesn't have to clash to like the, ra- the raptor opening a door feels like something built to actually happen and could actually happen. Whereas like these dinosaurs, by the time we get Jurassic World Dominion, there's like the worst looking raptors we've ever seen. How is it? How, how are, are they so slower, bad? Slower than Bryce Dallas Howard, <laughs> even though they're raptors <laughs> and somehow can smell lasers. It's very, very odd. Yeah, they can keep up with a Jeep or a motorcycle, but as soon as someone is like running and bit, you know, just like with just like on foot, they they instantly are like it's like they're running on ice. They're slipping and sliding. They fall over. They can't. It, you know, it's almost like you could put the Benny Hill theme under these raptors chasing people. It's I would so, watch that. It's so absurd how how difficult it is to like catch up to yeah Bryce Dallas Howard in 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 uh, in the new movie. You you compare it. You know, you're, you're, the question of like how did these other franchises pull it off is interesting to me because I had never really thought of it in in comparison to a Friday the Thirteenth or the or a nightmare on Elm street. And I feel like personally this, you know, a real horror aficionado may disagree, but to me, like the best ones of those movies at the later sequels are the ones that go for more like self-referential self-satire, you know, like almost, almost scream like, you know, like uh, right. Friday the 13th part six, I think is the one that I really love where they kind of like embrace, like making fun of the cliches uh, of a Friday the 13th movie or like, you know, uh, new nightmare where it's sort of like we're making a movie about Freddy and that gives Freddy power and you can you know it's that's almost like a proto scream from Wes Craven and I guess there was a little bit of that in the first Jurassic I was World. gonna say Trevorrow tries to do some of that but I think he's kind of also caught up in in reverence for Spielberg and like if you make a sequel to a Jurassic Park movie you need to like tip your Tip your safari hat to these moments. Like in Dominion, they fucking have Laura Dern do the sunglasses bit. But instead of a, a magnificent, we don't cut to a magnificent vista with a brontosaurus herd. We cut to her with, in a field with locusts. And it's like, what is she doing? This is. Yeah. Well, at a moment. Also, the, yeah, the villain is uh, from a new company, but it's Dodson from the original. And he has the canister that I assure you nobody went back to Isla Nublar ever to find. I have no idea how he got that. But it is like these winks that's like, did this entire bad villain come because he wanted to do this last scene where Dodson looks down at like the fucking canister and it's like, oh, how far we've come. It's never flaming locusts. Like, it's not saying like, haha, this is, it's this moment, but we're doing it in like a new way or it's, this is stupid or it's been parried a million times. Your point, Matt, it's not, the, it's not going full scream about it, right? We're still in nostalgia mode. Right. And the problem is like that, that what you're describing uh, patches about, you know, with looking in awe, the Spielberg face, uh, I believe someone ah, might have coined yeah. that term <laughs> is they're still doing that after six, five, six of these movies where in the second movie in Lost World, there's a really funny moment where they where Spielberg sort of recreates that early awe moment. And then Goldblum's character is like, oh, yeah, everyone's. Ooh, ah, but then comes the running and the screaming, (laughs) which is a funny line and a funny bit because he's, you know, like he's acknowledging that this is, it, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's fun to look at dinosaurs, but they're going to kill us all. And yet every movie after that has just repeated that sort of thing of like the awe moment followed by the, you know, oh, it's all falling to shit. 
every single movie without winking. Like at, at a certain point, we have to learn that that's what's going to happen with these dinosaurs. Every time you put them in one of these nature preserves, <laughs> they're going to eat each other. They're going to kill everybody. Like we can't keep being impressed. It's it's bizarre. But that isn't that also? I mean, isn't that some of the logic of making a sequel? If you're Colin Trevorrow, you have to do X, Y, and Z. It is to be a Jurassic Park movie. You have to do this. Like you have to send them to a park but somehow. The, but, Get them to a park. But that's what. But that's what you're when you're saying. How do these later horror slasher franchises right. do it? Is they don't necessarily do that. The ones that work kind of embrace sort of more of the tweaking that, making fun of that, trying right. Jason something. Jason can go to New York. As long right. as it's Jason, dinosaurs could be rampaging anywhere as long as it's dinosaurs. But you don't have to go like the setup doesn't matter. The plot doesn't matter. Right. Dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Or looping looping back to what Matt was saying at the very beginning of the segment. Why does this Jurassic World franchise filled with Jurassic parks like I, where was the world? Where was the world I was but promised? That, I will say this. And let's let's shift to Dominion because I will. I do want to hear you scream and shout about dumb moments in this movie a little bit if there are any that come to mind. But I I want to go to bat for this movie for a second. Um, there is a good part, I think. Uh, <laughs> it is when they are in Malta and they are they make a born movie. They make like a little born movie inside of Dominion. And there are raptors, there's like a motorcycle chase, there's a foot chase, there's a knife fight while giant apex predator type dinosaurs are chomping people in the background, but we're focused on the knife fight. That's what we care about in these movies. Just show me the, the fisticuffs. Uh, who cares about the dinosaurs wreaking havoc? But like, there is a world there. They go to a black market where people are now selling dinosaurs. There's like a Watto dinosaur <laughs> there. Anyone else remember this? Like, I mean, aging, yeah, there's direct. There's... Thing. There's also a uh, Jurassic Park short and a whole animated Camp Cretaceous series that tell these stories a lot better. Yeah. I couldn't tell you why we went to Malta because the kids, the, the kids never girl. in Malta. They the were kids, tracking the clone the, girl. I mean, I know why we did, but I don't know why we had to. That's my better reason. For a set because piece. For the best the, set piece of the movie. It was like the one moment, I mean, I will say that was like the one sequence where it felt like someone like whispered in their ear and went, wasn't this movie supposed to be about Jurassic World and dinosaurs in the real world? Because at least there you see, you know, people driving around in a city and suddenly there's dinosaurs roaming around. And and I guess the idea of this like black market uh, of dinosaurs and like dinosaur cockfighting, that's sort of a fun idea, I suppose. Uh, at least it's an idea. I mean, it's trying, it an idea. you know, it's something. It is giving us something we haven't seen in the in the previous movies. It's not people running around in a park away from dinosaurs. I guess my problem with that sequence was what we, we already mentioned it. It's like they start this elaborate, insane chase with like raptors who have been trained. You know, the dream of Vincent D'Onofrio has come true and they have trained raptors to kill people by putting laser pointers on them. Uh, but it's like Anytime they get close to a named character, the raptors turn into the Keystone Cops. Like, when it's like an anonymous extra, they can chomp them with ease. Sure. As soon as it's Bryce Dallas Howard or, you well, know, know. Uh, or Chris Pratt, they're just like, yeah, yeah. As we know, Chris Pratt's Owen Grady possesses the Force. Anytime he holds up his hand, he can yes. stop a dinosaur from doing something somehow. He's the ultimate traitor. Yeah, uh, it is a magic power in this movie. It is very funny every time he does it. I, oh, I, I, I know it. Goddamn sense! It's amazing. He does it to dinosaurs he's never met. It somehow yes. works. 
He teaches Every other characters. He teaches like at the end of the movie, they're all doing it. Right, Samuel, scene. everyone is using the force powers. They're just holding back. up their oh. hands to dinosaurs, and I guess the dinosaurs are like, "What the hell is wrong with these Alex idiots?" Was like, I was so close to making a Star Wars movie, guys. I just really wanted to do a Star Wars. <laughs> God, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, Patches. That sequence is really bad. I mean, not only because of what the stuff we're talking about and then we've already brought up, but also like I'm going to give a little bit of leeway for this being a COVID movie, but there's zero continuity of where the fuck everybody is. For me, the sequences that work in this movie are one. Bryce Dallas Howard ejects from a plane. We follow her in like the only interesting shot all the way down. She meets a scary looking herbivore, but we don't know she's a herbivore. It's a herbivore because, you know, dinosaurs fucking it's scary looking. And she hides under the water after crawling and it roars and causes some ripples. Great sequence. Second sequence makes less sense, but Dodson lights all the fucking cicadas or whatever on fire and then just ejects them into the sky. <laughs> and I'm just like, that does look cool. I don't know why it's in this fucking movie, yeah. but okay, that's an interesting idea. I well, guess. it sets like- everything on fire and creates the ending of the movie like every other why, but why would he release them I, that's what I could I didn't understand if he, he meant to release them or if they escape somehow and if they did escape somehow how they escaped and why you would allow them to escape yeah they yeah, went to an air like a complex well no it's like a complex underground lab that was built to house these incredibly toxic cicadas Correct. and built to destroy yes. them but either the roof and the subsequent levels above it were so weak they didn't count for flaming cicadas right. or they let them or you let them loose yeah, it's, like i don't and and like you, the, the part dave you're describing with the, you know bryce dallas howard falling out of the airplane and everything every you're right it's a cool moment it's a cool shot and the sequence is you know moderately you know sort of <laughs> suspenseful but every but it's like everything in this movie like nothing really connects and when you call it like a covid movie like that was the stuff where i was going like what so she lands in like a tropical jungle, but then, but then Chris Pratt and I'm blanking on the name of the actress who plays the pilot. They oh, De- eject- uh, DeWanda Wise. DeWanda Wise, thank you. They crash land maybe like a minute later, but they're like on an icy mountain. And it, it's like, how do these two spaces like even remotely connect? I don't understand how you can go from like a jungle to a, like, it looks like they're in like the Arctic was, or something. Yeah, where it's are- It's a frozen I- lake. On a top of a mountain, and also why she they eject according her. to Wikipedia, they're in Italy's Dolomites mountain range, which I guess can possess frozen tundras on the outside and, and eco friendly dinosaur jungles in the also, inside. Also, they they eject her, and then they crash, and they're totally fine. So it was pointless to eject it her. They all would have been. Yeah. They all would have been completely fine. They were going to crash into an ice lake uh which chris pratt falls into and does not shiver i was looking for the shivering like if you fall into an ice lake in the tundra mountains i don't know i would expect you to be a little cold if you fell in the water but as you mentioned he has i'm not a jedi yeah i was gonna say he has the force so that's really his (laughs) i mean he is such an obi-wan i mean his uh, Chris Pratt is a guy in other movies i've enjoyed i think he's very charming and funny and other things guardians of the galaxy but it's like in these movies, I I can't I find him insufferable, and it's kind of what you're describing. It's like his character is like he doesn't even he do is like a Jedi. He can do everything. He can do anything and everything. The and opening scene is him like wrangling a dinosaur like it's some sort of cattle, but he he does it with his bare hands and he ties a rope around a tree trunk, and you're like, 
are you the strongest man in the world? Is this what this is establishing, that you are super heroic? I, it really, it, the whole movie just gets off on the wrong foot. Nothing makes sense. Everything is for spectacle. And there's really no trace of character. I, my, my biggest disappointment in Dominion is that there's nothing to do with the, with the old characters, with Sattler or, or Ian Malcolm or Dr. Grant. Like, I actually thought Laura Dern and Sam Elliott were horrible in this movie. I really, they Sam thought they Neal. had no chemistry. Oh, Sam Neill, sorry. Yeah, Sam Elliott. Uh, you know, get the cowboy in there. Um, yeah, <laughs> Sam Neill, I, I just thought they had nothing to do. They don't get to do anything related to dinosaurs. They're investigating the locusts. They run around in, in funny suits in the in the lab and try and figure solve the locust problem. Um, and they And they do this thing, and I think it's fair to say there's a romantic plot, like they kind of uh, Sattler's gotten divorced since uh, Jurassic Park 3, and it feels like the um, running with heels on moment from Jurassic World, but for this movie. Like, trying to stuff this romantic plot in for them is like, you still don't get it, do you? Like, we've advanced beyond this. They don't need to be in love. No one needs this from them. They're friends, and they should be, but like, how is there room in this movie for them to rekindle romance or something? It's so bizarre, and I think they're just bad, bad, bad in this movie, and nothing to do. Ugh. I guess this movie sucks. You're right. I should, I should not try and defend I, it. The last thing that frustrated me that I feel like I have to talk on is there's an entire subplot uh, where Blue has a child. Oh, yeah. Uh, that exists uh and is important for the exact same reason the clone girl is important and they capture them both at the same time but then we stay with the clone girl until it's like oh yeah didn't we have another child in there and i'm like why at this point you've assembled holly like uh owen and bryce dallas howard's character they have enough reason to chase the clone girl you don't need to throw in blue's offspring and if you are going to throw in Blue's offspring, why do nothing with it? It escapes and then like lives a perfectly fine life in the bowels of this building until it happens across uh, Sam Neill later. Oh, remember, just they, so bizarre. they went to great lengths to save the dinosaurs on the island in Fallen Kingdom, too, right? Isn't that the premise of Fallen Kingdom? That That's they the were first like, half. Is they're they could to all save... die, except right. we're just going to save everybody for... For some bizarre reason. Like, no, actually, just let them die. Let's he made a promise to his friend Blue that he was going to bring that dino baby home. Damn it. I also like that the dino baby's <laughs> name is uh, Beta, which I assume Colin Trevorrow, that's a little nod to Star Wars fans. Um, come on. Hello. That's I, a good movie. I, I, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of pointless. And, but he uh, but it gives him more excuses to hold up his hand. Don't forget, though, because <laughs> that's, that's right. how they get, that's, that's how they get in the hand, the hand stuff. I, I, I sort of agree that the the, the the it's almost tragic like w like they finally bring back the original cast of Jurassic Park and like this is what what they uh, what they did with them and it's I, I I still can't believe that they gave them a plot that didn't involve like dinosaurs like why is Laura Dern's character investigating locusts wasn't she like a paleobotanist what does that have to do with killer locusts like it's I literally like killing crops or something. Yeah, it's, a, it was basically like someone's crops were attacked and they didn't know who else to call and they call her. And then she's like, well, I guess I'll I'll uh, break into the most heavily fortified science <laughs> right. laboratory in the world with my friend, the, <laughs> the paleontologist. <laughs> and now nothing's even like, why would you why would you want me there? It's like, you're my you're my go to guy. I, I don't know. Why wouldn't you be? There? And and, and in like these movies. Alan, like Alan Grant, like the one thing that's established about his oh, character, Grant, besides Grant. his love of dinosaurs, is like his hatred of like computers and all these sorts of modern technology. 
So he's like the worst person to bring on like a mission to like <laughs> infiltrate a secret high tech lab. Like like Alan Grant's like plot line in this movie. <laughs> Literally, the only thing he like his motivation is like he wants to like make out with Laura Dern. Like that's his storyline. He, he his old flame has come back into his life, and he he he's attracted to her. That's it. Like that's the only thing he really kind of cares about, and is doing. It's like what a what a colossal waste. And then Malcolm, yeah, he's funny. Like Jeff Goldblum is entertaining because he's, he's like he's funny. But like, why is he there? He's at this. Secret Dino Sanctuary. He's like the full in-house philosopher. He's been or hired by Biosyn to just rail <laughs> against Biosyn right. and be like, "Don't do this. This is bad." And they say, and they, and they say he's he. They specifically say he's been there for six weeks, and somehow in six weeks, the in-house philosopher has got top secret access to the most secretive, illegal laboratory secrets that this company would not want anyone to know about. In the and yet he. As Ian Malcolm, the in-house philosopher, can has like a card or a wristband, right. a magic band from Disneyland <laughs> yeah. that can like access any of these places. It's like just like a, on the basic like level of construction. Again, baffling. It's like how did this happen? I will say, in this movie's defense, I feel like they do go to great lengths to show that Campbell Scott's Dodgson, the CEO of Biosyn or whatever, is like all over the place. He just cannot concentrate on any one thing. He is in every room. Like, if they go to the lab, he is there. If they go to the control tower to call in planes to land, for some reason, he's in the control tower. I'm like, you are the head of this company, and yet you're working with, like, every single type of person who works there. Why are you micromanaging? And this is how people like Malcolm get by. No, no one stops them at the secret lab. They do, there's no conflict in their infiltration of the, of the locust experiments it's very that that part baffled me too where it's like oh there's no stakes here they just get in they have a kite they have the key um very, it's a very strange movie i will Baffling. say to wrap up to wrap Baffling. up uh, and why i think there's like there's something at the core of this this is um you know colin trevorrow has not made too many movies uh movies i'm not a fan of safety not guaranteed his his first film that impressed some people at sundance i think that it got him Jurassic World because it was a very nostalgic, he would call it Amblin-esque, a phrase that has lost all meaning. I'm glad Katie's not here because that, that phrase just makes her brain melt. Um, but his nostalgia or his, I don't know what got him Jurassic World, but something about Safety Not Guaranteed did that, the, the fantasy of it, the schmaltz. Um, and, and then he made Book of Henry, which is probably the closest thing I can compare Dominion to in terms of just like, it thinks it's high <laughs> drama or something, but it's so dumb, like to the core, pea-brained uh, in dino terms. Uh, so Contravo, fascinating person. But I think he and his co-screenwriter here, Emily Carmichael, actually came up with something that could have been good. Like, it's actually pretty good on paper when I go back and reflect on this movie, but it shouldn't have been a movie. I've been thinking a lot about what the crew on HBO's Westworld did to Crichton and like took the Westworld premise and the Westworld movie and made it into a show and to extrapolate on like, how do you make the most Crichton-y thing? I think the failure of Dominion comes from trying to make a more Crichton-esque Jurassic Park movie. How do you get to the Locust plot? Because it's actually something that Crichton would probably write that has nothing to do with Jurassic Park. It's actually a smart move to consider 
Like, how else would people use this technology? How would it go further? What does it all mean to bring back dinosaurs? If that's just the beginning, where does it all go? I don't think you have the runtime or the, the foundation of spectacle that this movie needs to be to be a big June release. Um, but I do think that there's something here, like the impulse to do the Locust plot, I will defend. And I think Jurassic Park or Jurassic World Dominion could have been like the pivot to where, like this should have been the Peacock Jurassic Park television show. And I'm surprised we haven't gotten there and maybe we will one day because Disney Plus is doing Marvel shows, Star Wars shows. It's funny, I'm just spent last week railing against Obi-Wan and that why you should never do this, but I still think there's probably a good Jurassic Park television show, except they just wasted it all on Dominion. Am I crazy? Yes. Okay. It, yes. Yeah. Isn't there a Jurassic Park television show? <laughs> there is? No, there is not Jurassic the fucking Cretaceous Camp Netflix animated shit. No. I mean, that's what you want. It, like, two weeks ago, weren't you telling me that, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, looks too cheap to be TV? And I'm like, that's one of the most expensive things that's ever been made. Like, that's the, that's the same balance that would happen with Jurassic Park. If we got, like, a Jurassic Park TV show, there would be more blueification of it, where it's like, the same dinosaurs <laughs> are showing up because we built one fucking dinosaur. We gotta use it, you know? I, I, I'm the, the big thing I got out of your sort of rant there, Patches, was just when you compared it to the Book of Henry, and you're right, it does feel like Book of Henry, but like, I, not the pea, pea brain or whatever, but just the, like, that's another movie where the whole construction and the whole conceit just makes no sense, and it's just so strange. It's not even, it's beyond good and bad. It's bizarre. Like, that movie, when you read the description, you're like, who would make this who would think this is a good idea it makes no sense it's insane it's based on no real world logic she's, it feels like movie she's logic. gonna do what based on based on his her child's life. Like right and then they're gonna they're this. gonna murder who and he's gonna teach his mother who's like basically can't take care of her own children to become like an assassin and help her cover up a murder of a of a like a police official like if you've never seen the book of henry like read the description and you'll be like what that's what this movie is. It is. It's. It's. It's baffling, and that is like the same sort of like weird storytelling logic that's in Dominion. It's just yeah. It's like miscalculated audacity. It's like that's I a that's I, a really good way of putting it. I I am not going to settle for just imitating Spielberg. I'm not even going to imitate just like the premise here. I'm going to go to great lengths to surprise the audience using bits of movies that they know or, or or emotional beats that they're familiar with and then totally twist them and and but overextends completely but then it doesn't even do that because the end of the movie is jurassic park they stick them in a park with a bunch of dinosaurs the, leave. <laughs> the park goes to shit they all have to run for their lives and then they oh escape God. like even even when they, they tried it, not God. to make the same movie they still wound up with a third act that's just shamelessly a retread do you think there is hope for, is there going to be more Jurassic Park? This movie's making a lot of money. Um, can you do more? Is there, is there more? How do you, I'm not asking you to pitch it. You, well, save that we, for your we, actual we pitch make money on We reboot the series, as you're saying, as a television show, oh. but every episode is a Patch's dumb question. It just involves dinosaurs. <laughs> so it's like, listen, I've lived here for three years. Dinos. I just noticed there's a... There's a Dilophosaurus the, living the under my porch. I think here. it has squatter rights. Uh, <laughs> like, do I? What? What do I owe this dinosaur that's it's illegally living under my porch? It's curb your enthusiasm, but the dinosaurs live among us. Exactly. 
that's that's the serial killer refresher that I want from a, like a Jurassic World endless franchise. It's like, okay, the dinosaurs are here. Just iterate. The last thing anybody should be doing is like, let's get all these dinosaurs into a company capitalist controlled environment that's shut off from everything else. We know that doesn't work. That's the worst idea. What just let's just see the the you know the Larry David problems of like fucking dinosaurs killed all my ladybugs and now I have a cicada problem. See, I think that they the there's this is going to be one of those movies that even though it made a lot of money, nobody likes, and so they're going to want to make more, but they're not going to they're going to recognize that they can't just make another sequel to this or build right. off of this because nobody. Star Wars. This is where it's Star Wars the franchise. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is like, yeah, exactly, where they go, well, we need to do, we got to keep making this, but we need to do something different. And I actually think it wouldn't shock me if they decided to do like a TV show reboot where you, mm. you know, it's Jurassic Park in the it, young Hammond Chronicles or just re or just redo Jurassic Park in 2022. Basically, you know, the movies have never taken place. What would Jurassic Park look like in 2022? Hmm. And you do it as, you know, like what you're saying with Westworld, like Westworld, you know, really worked at least for a season or two before I totally, totally lost me. But, uh, you know, like and that was basically like, you know, yes, it was it it did. It did some new things with it, but it was basically the same concept. It was just a very smart sort of modern twisty take. Let's talk about AI intelligence now. Let's talk about. Right. Right. The ethics of this situation in a, right. in a deeper way. And that's what I right. think Dominion un, unsuccessfully tries to do. Like, what that's if? Your, it, that's your argument, at least. Right. I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot of Take it to court by Colin Trevor. I'll be, no, uh, good luck. Right. Good luck. So to me, it's like, I guess if I had to make something new Jurassic Park related, I think that's what I would probably think would be the best avenue is maybe like the Peacock series or whatever. But, you know... Throw away the continuity, take the concept, and then do something interesting with it. Easier said than done. Have dinosaurs in it. Maybe yes. have less locusts, less yeah. locusts, more dinos. That's my prescription, Dr. Matt. All right, that's going to do it for this week. As you might notice, uh, Katie Rich is not here, but guess who is? Matt Singer's still here. Matt, where can people find you around the internet? Well, I'm uh, writing every day at Screen Crush, screencrush.com, and uh, my Twitter account is at Matt Singer, and I think that's uh, that's about it. Excellent. I'm looking forward to you heading up a, a, a dinosaur TV series in the future. Yeah, if something tells me I'm not going to get, be get any ideas. phone calls about that, but, you know, they know where to find me. Are you going to be uh, eating any horrible movie-themed meals in the future? Is there Minions cake there, or something? There is. You know, it's funny you say that. There is a Jurassic World menu at um, Carl's Jr. and Hardee's, which, you know, as, as New, Yorkers, New Yorkers, there's not yeah, a lot of those. Like Someone sent me... A, I was trying to find where I could find one, uh, and there there is one that's like two hours away. Oof. That's, a, that's kind of a long way to drive a for a, a primal right. burger. <laughs> So, I don't you need know to get I'm a fan to like buy it for you, seal it, vacuum seal it, and send right. it. Right, send it in a ship. In a ship. If anyone listening ice. wants to ship Matt Singer, a to primal Carl's burger, Jr., uh, yeah. get in contact with him. Hit me up on Twitter. Yeah. Exactly. 
and uh, I'm Matt Patches. I'm on the Twitter as well, at Mr. Patches, uh, deputy editor over at Polygon.com. But I'm on leave right now, so I don't know what's going on over there. They're probably covering some stuff. But uh, yeah, and we remember, we have a website, fightinginthewarm.com, where you can uh, listen to all the old episodes. I bet we've reviewed Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in the the run of this podcast. So I would go all the way back and, and find those episodes. You can listen to I'd them yell know. at me about what a great movie Amazing oh, yeah. Spider-Man 2 is. I'm not making that up. That was what <laughs> happened. Go ahead. Go listen to it. Yeah. You'll see. We they don't swear up and down. What a great movie. A masterpiece. It's Mark good. Mark Webb done it again. Can't wait for Amazing Spider-Man 3. On the big screen. What was the band that Hans Zimmer assembled for the score? It had like Pharrell in it and they were just all jamming. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about some of the most successful um, elements of one of the highest grossing movies of uh, recent years, which is Spider-Man No Way Home, which was the continuation of Andrew Garfield and Electro. So Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man 2 had to lay all that groundwork or we wouldn't have known what the fuck was going on. Good point. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can follow Katie Rich at K-E-T-Y-R-I-C-H. You can follow David Ehrlich at David Ehrlich. Learn how to spell his name. And we will be back uh, next week. Oh, I'm sorry. You can follow all of us at FITWR on Twitter, where you could answer this week's lightning round question, which was, in honor of Lightyear, what's your favorite cinematic spacesuit? We did it. I'm done.